Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me today, we have a pretty full panel. There is Alisa. Hello. And Grace. It's cold. <laughs> and Jara. Hello, my child. <laughs> oh, there's the hint. Today we are going to be talking about Win Adami. Ooh. I'm very excited. Yeah. So if we so when we make it through the end of the episode, will we in fact win Adami? Nah. Maybe. Maybe we'll all just burst into flames. Maybe mm-hmm. that is winning Adami. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the most win she was ever gonna get. Oh no. Oh poor thing. Mm. <laughs> All right, but first we have our standard housekeeping to do. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 a month and get some awesome rewards. We do social media things. We do watch-alongs. We do spore jump episodes where we talk about non-Trek topics. And we do some other fun stuff every now and then. So if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash womenatwarp. If you're looking for podcast merch, you can check out our Tee Public store. We've added some new designs recently. And on so much more than just t-shirts, there are mugs and laptop cases and stickers and magnets and tapestries. If that's a thing you want, just find it over at tpublic.com slash stores slash women at warp. You can also check our website for our remaining convention merch we have some patches and some pins available and those will not be produced again so only while supplies last limited edition limited edition i was gonna say tapestry more than just an episode of tng (laughs) it's true i know what you meant by tapestry but i immediately imagined like a women at warp-esque bayou tapestry situation there (laughs) where we're all in profile and like with a unicorn Yeah, yeah. Always with the unicorns. Well, now we have to make that happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I need a tapestry. I need a Women at Warp tapestry. (laughs) Have a blank wall. We need to have it all be in Old English, though. So, women if at warp. I think it should actually be in Klingon and Vulcan. That's even better. Mm. Yes. Yes. Someone design this, please? Yes. And And then put out a coffee table book of Klingon tapestries. It'll be great. I I have been doing the Klingon Duolingo lessons. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I did them for a little bit. The exercises, first of all, are amazing. But my favorite one is when they make you translate haters are going to hate. (laughs) (laughs) How do you say it? It's my favorite thing. It's mush mush wee poo. (laughs) (laughs) Mush mush wee poo. That has a nice ring to it, actually. I don't have a great Klingon accent, but it's hilarious. <laughs> but oh my goodness, we're not talking about Klingons today, even though there are plenty of Klingons on Deep Space Nine. We're talking about Winadami, Vedic, Kai, interim first minister, tool of the Pa Wraiths, and hater extraordinary. Yeah, talk about haters gonna hate. Yeah. yeah. Right? Boss bitch. If I'm remembering right, this was prompted because of the sad passing of actress Louise Fletcher. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fairly recently. Louise Fletcher, who is absolutely incredible, and especially at roles that are terrible, evil people. Let's talk about Louise Fletcher for a minute then. Yeah. Because, oh my God, she's known for a doozy of one. I think you mean, oh my prophets. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I do. Forgive me, my child. I spoke too hastily. (laughs) So what we're, of course, alluding to is Nurse Ratchet in What Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. Which, oh my god, what a performance and what what an uncomfortable role to have probably played Mm -hmm. in terms of being so incredibly just vile and contemptuous. Ken Kesey has made, had since made some comments on the character that there was definitely some... Some internalized misogyny that went into the writing of that character and that she is definitely supposed to be more of an avatar of a system than an actual person. Mm. In One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you have anarchy and you have sort of a fascist rule of order. And she kind of represents that fascist rule of order, which can't be an easy role to step into. Yeah, and she kind of embodies a system 
as Kai Wynn as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. This is a woman who was just kind of built to portray evil systems personified. But apparently not like that as a human at all. Yeah. Good to hear. Good to hear. Mm-hmm. No one no one wakes up and says, I want to be an actress, but specifically one that embodies everything you should fear about people in roles of authority. I don't know. Playing villains is fun. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, <laughs> um, actually, you no, know, yeah, it's I, th- I think for some actors, myself included, oh, man, that kind of role would be amazing and and the thing is like you have to be able to handle it and so if you get cast as that type of role that that's a huge thing for an actor because you're like they're trusting me with this role i see how important it is i see how evil this person is i'm gonna have so much fun playing this but also you know the writers put this character in because they they are venting some shit they are trying to channel some shit it's it's big when you get to play that kind of role and she did it many times over and was Mm -hmm. so good at it in her acceptance speech when she won the 1976 Best Actress Oscar mm-hmm. for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, she said, I loved being hated by you, Aww. which is great. <laughs> I love it. She also signed part of her acceptance speech. And really interesting to me anyway is that she and her siblings are hearing children of deaf parents And she, based on what I found, didn't learn to speak until the age of three. Mm, Pretty amazing. That's very cool. And a great moment for representation to have someone signing while accepting an Oscar. Mm -hmm. In 1976. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to remember if that was before or after they tried to have an Oscar number where they were performing You Light Up My Life with Ah. children performing sign language that wasn't real sign language, just looking like sign language. Just like actions. Yeah, they were just miming. This looks like sign language. I don't know. There was definitely a whole thing in the 90s about like signing while you're singing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And we all had to do it in school. Yeah, but like, at least in my school, they just handed somebody like a sign language dictionary and said, figure it out. Uh, so, <laughs> not great. No. <laughs> we had anyway. An, an actual interpreter that worked with a student at our school who, like, helped us figure out how to all sign O'Canada. That is much mm-hmm. better than yes. my experience. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. let's talk about Kai Wynn. <laughs> let's. On doing the show, Louise Fletcher said, they just asked me to play this outrageous part, and I thought it was a one-time thing. And they, they kept asking her to come back. And she said, like, luckily, most of the time I was available. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is really funny if you watch that first appearance of hers, because it really does feel like she could have been there just as a villain of the week. But they managed to land Louise Fletcher and you're like, oh, damn, it's Nurse Ratched. Mm -hmm. Well, and in the like in the first season, you know, she's like almost kind of like a supporting villain to Frank Langella. Like she, mm-hmm. she does have that one, ep- you know, for the, the school episode, that's really her. Yeah. But she's also like pulled into this, all this stuff with the circle at the end of the first season and beginning of the second season. She definitely gets more nuanced over the course of the season and then maybe like, or sort the course of the series and then less nuanced maybe again. But um. <laughs> <laughs> the nuance ebbs and flows depending on who's writing her that week, I guess. Yeah, like, I mean, at the beginning, like you said, she could just be kind of a villain of the week because she is like fairly one dimensional. Yeah, she's kind of mustache twirly in that first yeah. episode. Yeah. Which sometimes you need a good mustache twirler. And sometimes you need someone who's very good at mustache twirling to play them. <laughs> and she's got the Sydney Opera House hat. Yes. I, yeah. <laughs> that hat is intense. I, I mentioned she said that most of the time she was asked she was available. But can you believe that was only 14 episodes? Kai Wynn only appears in 14 episodes. Hmm. And she feels like such a force on the show. Yeah. Out of 176, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Such a memorable villain, too. So many... So many times when you talk about villains in DS9, people will say the one they hated the most was Wynn because she was so easy to dislike. So odious. Yeah. There's definitely like some people, like I would say me, who love to hate her. Um, Some people who are just like, I can't stand her because she's too scary or like she's just like too close to home. Yeah. Uh, People who have had like particularly like harsh or, or bad religious figures in their own life. 
but she does such an amazing job. People who grew up with nuns like I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even anyone who uh, grew up in a community where there was a community leader who was very much in it for themselves and not the community. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've mentioned on the show before, like I was, a, I'm a pastor's kid, right? And I grew up in a very conservative church environment. And from very early on, I recognized when I was like, yeah. I know, I know uh. this person. And then the, she doesn't say it until I think a sixth season episode. But when she finally admits that like the prophets have never spoken to her and she doesn't understand why, like how other people are feeling things and she's not feeling them and she's, uh, and that makes her question things. That's when my brain went, I understand this person. Mm. Yeah, like I I think in the, the Tarok Nor prequel novels, you see a bit about how Wynne is in the resistance and it like it really helps. I think you can get this in the canon show as well, but understand that like for her, it's not that she's self-centered. It's that she's she's like, I've been sacrificing for my community through the occupation. So she's not like in the armed resistance, but she's basically keeping the religion alive when the religion is illegal. And that so she's she sees herself as having sacrificed for the community for so long that like she is owed something from the prophets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she can't handle that the prophets haven't like smiled on her the way that they have smiled on Cisco, who is an interloper. Alien. Who doesn't even want this. Yeah. yeah. That point about her not feeling the presence of the prophets and not ever being spoken to by them. Oh my God. It reminds me so much of Mother Teresa. And, yes. You know, what we found out after her death and all of those letters they found where she, for like 50 years of her life, said she had no faith like she Uh didn't feel god's presence for 50 years and she's like this like spiritual religious leader who even people who weren't catholic adored her and looked up to her and really revered her but kai or win win adami is like if mother Teresa had decided to go more like towards like okay well i'm not hearing god so i'm gonna be God. I'm going to make that power. I'm going to be that power that I I wish I could have. I'm going to ask to speak to God's manager. <laughs> yeah, She's a Karen. She's a space Karen, too. Yes. Yeah. She's a space Karen, but also a member of the space Borgias. There's very mm-hmm. much that yep. political aspect to her. Yeah. But in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, she is the manager. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, and she she did describe herself as like one of those old corrupt popes in space. Yeah. I mean, I can yeah. only speak from my experience, but like growing up surrounded by growing up churched, I'll open it that way. <laughs> there's a lot of like, at, at least in the the community I was in, there's a lot of like, oh, share your testimony. Oh, when mm. when when you feel this, you're gonna you're gonna notice this change, and then things will never be the same, and you'll know the moment. And I was about to say when you, but no, my experience, when I did not feel that, there's a lot of questioning that came mm-hmm. with that. There's a lot of like self-blame that yes. comes with that. There's a lot of what am I doing wrong? And at least for me, I don't recall there being resentment, but there was certainly a pressure mm-hmm to say these things and to act these things and to pretend like you're feeling these things. And this is why I feel like I understand a lot of where Wynne is coming from. She just took a different turn. Yep. I totally feel that too. I I think for me, my religious upbringing led me to the inverse of Adami because it was like, for me, I grew up Catholic and the year that I was supposed to get my confirmation, I was 13 years old and I had been doubting. I was like, I believed in God. I believed in like the spiritualness and I had the faith, but I I didn't believe in the structure. I didn't believe in the organization. I didn't believe in the people who were running Catholicism for yeah. the most part. And that made me really question the religion. And so I spent most of that year doubting and I was in classes to get my confirmation. And I told my mom, I was like, I don't think I want to get confirmed. I don't, I don't think I'm Catholic. I don't know if I am anymore. And she was like, just get confirmed. (laughs) Just do it. Because if you ever want to get married in a Catholic church, you'll be able to. I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. So I got my confirmation. But 
but for me, the inverse of Adami is, yeah, like breaking away from the religion and still keeping the faith and keeping like mm. that spiritual, I, I guess fervor is, fervor feels kind of negative to me to say, but I, I know I've experienced that. I've experienced like euphoria from, you know, thinking of God and thinking of spirituality. And now it's morphed into something else for me, but I totally, yeah, I, I love how this character, you know, we all have such different religious backgrounds and upbringings, but no matter what religion you are, and no matter if you're still religious, there's so much in Win Adami that we can kind of like relate to. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we're we're not evil space pope Karens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hope not. <laughs> I think she so desperately wants to have the faith. Yeah. yeah. And I think she she doubts. It feels like she's walking the walk. So that, you know, like she's let herself be that on the outside because she's like, this is the closest I can get to it. And people, I'm I'm good at pretending that uh, the prophets speak to me. So she's like, I'm just going to keep doing this because maybe one day they will. Mm -hmm. If I keep checking the boxes. Exactly. Like, I can only imagine as like someone who left my own church around like university because I wasn't like super keen on the way they were handling the same-sex marriage debate which they did eventually approve same-sex marriage but I thought the way they handled it was a bit bs but like for me I like turned to like skepticism and like atheism agnosticism and like for me that I wasn't like particularly troubled about feeling like I wasn't doing it right but I also didn't have literal proof of my gods right in front of yeah, me favoring someone over me. So that's like, true, yeah. yeah, she literally has to contend on a regular basis with seeing like the prophets pick Kira as their vessel, the prophets pick Cisco to give mm. visions and like all this kind of stuff. And she is like, she has like no reason to doubt their existence only yeah. the fact yeah. that they don't favor her. That is a very big difference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think part of her ambition comes from, uh, I don't know, external validation. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. if I keep getting promoted in the church, if I'm a Vedic and mm -hmm. then Kai, yeah. then I must be doing something right. Right, right. If I also become the head of the government. Yeah. Maybe if I keep... Mm -hmm advancing or whatever maybe they'll eventually that means they'll favor me maybe they'll eventually talk to me if i become the ceo i can't have imposter syndrome right <laughs> maybe that's what it is maybe she has imposter syndrome well there's also this mentality i've heard of from people who've left the religions they were brought up in of after a while feeling like i don't feel this i'm phoning it in oh, does that mean everyone else around me is phoning it in? And that made just the act of sort of participating in religion that you didn't believe in so much easier to do. Like like that idea that a liar will always assume everyone else around them is lying. Yeah. Like, so Oof. for to her, a lot of it could possibly be just kind of meaningless and just the means to that external validation. Mm -hmm. Which I know is a very cynical take on it, but it was just the thing that came to mind. No, yeah, I feel that though, because like, I feel like I have seen people like this, not just in religious communities, but I'm thinking about like theater community, improv communities out here in LA, like those type of spaces where everyone has like a common passion or belief and there's a structure around that passion or belief. And then people emerge as leaders and icons within that community. But then at some point for some people, it stops being about that shared belief or passion and it becomes about the approval and it becomes about gaining power and getting stature in that community. So yeah, I can totally see like Kai Wynn using that approval to prop herself up in the community. It, you know, it almost is like, I will say in the defense of the writers, I know, you know, we, we've we noticed where sometimes in her 14 episode arc, she's very written, very one note and played brilliantly. And then others, she's more complex. But I think I, I will give them credit for just building into the character, the idea that like she is a power hungry, like religious political figure who wants to believe. Like if they hadn't added that who wants to believe part, mm -hmm. then she would have been really just like one dimensional character. Yeah. But I do give them credit for at least giving her that flip of 
And, you know, it was later, <laughs> later yeah. in her arc that they finally did that. But I'm glad they finally did. I've got two things that come to mind with this situation right now. And one is that there is kind of recorded phenomena of people in nonprofit organizations weirdly kind of going mad with power. Uh, I'm sorry, non nonprofit it, organizations? Oh, yeah, nonprofit. But yeah, yeah. just... Yeah. If you give someone any form of authority, there will mm -hmm. be a way that it goes to their head. Yeah. Especially when it's one, yeah, one where that it like confirms that they're a good person or something. Exactly. That's what mm -hmm. I was going to say. It's worse in religious communities and nonprofits because to be at the top, you have to prove to everyone you're a good person. And people will get cutthroat over that shit. Yeah, you get really cutthroat and you can become yeah. nasty. I have seen some nasty stuff in my religious upbringing of people trying to be holier than thou. Mo Mother Teresa's order, another good example of that. Yeah, and people being super yeah. willing to throw mm -hmm. other people under the bus to show what a good person they are. So the, the other thing it's making me think mm -hmm. of is the New York Times thing from a couple of years ago back of the lady who donated a kidney. Oh, yeah. Then had a big falling out with yeah. her friend group because she wasn't getting told what a good person oh she was about oh it God. for donating a kidney. Ugh. Gross. Yeah, and that's just the writing's on the wall <laughs> with that one. But similar wow. mentality, the idea of like, no, I did the good thing, where's my reward for the good thing? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the other really interesting to note about when, at least when she's a Vedic, is that she is leading uh, what is described as a small orthodox order. Mm -hmm. but one that is also very loud. Mm -hmm. Right. So she is, she's speaking for, admittedly, for a minority of Bajor mm -hmm. and schemes her way into becoming Kai and leading the whole planet. Yep. And then tries to also become the first minister at the same time. Yeah. I, I mean, I do yeah. think it's worth pointing out for me i don't feel like there's a tremendous problem with it in this instance but you know there is a, a degree of which we demonize women with ambition in pop culture absolutely yeah and older women to be fair yeah so i think like we need to mention it as an example of that pattern even though i think star trek also does that with several bad morals who are also men in other series and and there are other examples so i i don't think that it's super super unfairly by the time of d space nine unfairly so but um i do think it's worth mentioning as an example of that pattern but i mean demonizing kai win is also warranted <laughs> it's so easy also <laughs> the first time we meet her she's plotting an assassination Oh, for sure. Yeah. And like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the, the, the power grab that she tries to make and stuff like there are many things that she she's doing that's very bad. I think what I'm trying to point out is more just that by this point, like in our women villain series, which we've done, I think three or four parts of by now, mm -hmm. we talk about how she's by far the most nuanced villain we get. But there are patterns that women villains fall into and or tropes. Sure. And one of those yeah. is like ambitious woman. And yeah. it's not like as cut and dried stereotype as it was in TOS. Mm -hmm. and, and like it is much more nuanced. We talk very positively in the about her in the villain episode that we did um, where we talked about her. But it doesn't mean that it's like can't be counted as an example of that trope. It just means that like they did a, a pretty good job at it. I also want to talk about her relationship with, I guess, the Federation in general, but Cisco specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if you think about the position that Bajor is in, they just finally ousted the Cardassians after an occupation. And here comes the Federation to kind of yeah. like oversee, mm -hmm. to like babysit, right? And they've got this provisional government that they can't even like get it settled into a full government. They're like in Articles of Confederation times. And it's being almost pressured to join the Federation. And then this outsider, colonizer, is named Emissary of the Prophets, challenging her status quo. And it is a tenuous status quo because it hasn't existed for very long. They're only just coming back and like reinvigorating Bajoran culture that's been literally oppressed for so long before. Well, you know what's, I think, very awesome and interesting about this whole arc they've done, you know, with Kaiwen and Bajoran faith is that idea of, you know, yes, like Ben Sisko coming in, Federation colonizer, becoming the emissary. 
And that really challenges Winadami because it's not about her. It's not about <laughs> yeah. her sacrifice. Which is the biggest insult, yeah, insult exactly. of all. It's not about her spending time in a Cardassian prison for teaching the faith. It's not about any of that. It's just like, and, and, and on top of that, you know, meta, not even that meta, just in, in the world meta, we as Federation people know that these are aliens who they, and yet yeah, they could also totally be considered prophets, religious or not, because they see parts of the future that we don't. But we can see outside of the Bajoran faith, we can see like, uh, they don't care <laughs> about the religious structure. Maybe they care about ceremony or something. I don't think they do. Prophets don't give a fuck. They don't give, they, they're like, what are these people doing? This guy seems cool. He's, there's something special about him and his story and his family. The Cisco seems chill. You know, the Cisco. I like, I'm going to rock with the Cisco. Space Karen is pissed because she, <laughs> to her, all of this shit is important. She did not pass the vibe check with the prophets. <laughs> she did not. And, and and yeah, you're right. Like, Sue, I love that framing of from her perspective, this outsider comes in. But what's fun is that the prophets are also kind of outsiders and she mm. doesn't see it that way. She feels this yeah. ownership over this thing that can't be owned. But they're my outsiders. That's an excellent point. Yeah, If you look at it true. from the perspective of like, this is a different race of aliens yeah. <laughs> that they've based a religion on. Yeah, and she's extremely upset by that idea in yeah. the episode with the school. Oh, that, yeah. Like, oh, oh how yeah. dare you call them aliens? They are our gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be great if we had an episode where the prophets meet her and they're like, we didn't ask you to do any of this shit. Mm-hmm. Like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you just dial it back a little? (laughs) But there are points, and I think this is part of what makes her such a great character. Like, you talked about how she, you know, the points where she's not just one note. There are points where she goes to Cisco for advice. Because Mm -hmm. she, and Mm -hmm. you know how much she hates to do that. But she truly wants to do what's best for her people. So I'm thinking, I think it's in the episode in the cards where they, the Dominion asks her to join the Dominion. Yeah. And she goes to Cisco to ask for his vi- advice. And he says, basically, like, you need to stall them. And she oh, actually, yeah. like, takes that seriously and does that based on his advice, even though you can tell that she is like, I don't like this guy. I don't trust this guy. But my people are in danger. And I take this really seriously. And I don't know what to do. And so it's mm. those moments that make her more than just like, she's not just like a grasping. I think Louise Fletcher also described herself as Margaret Thatcher in space. Yeah. Yeah. The ultimate Karen. Yeah. So <laughs> she has these conflicts within her about how much she should go with the direction the prophets are pointing. Yeah. According to some interviews, it was in season five where with Rapture and in the cards that the writers were kind of trying to give her a redemption arc. Mm-hmm. And then just decided, yeah, <laughs> let's throw her into bed with Galdicott. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> I mean, we didn't. We don't see her in all of season four. She's gone oh. for a whole year. She was just like so bummed out to lose that thing to to Shakar. And then we also know she <laughs> see Shakar later, which makes you be like, did he just stop being the first minister, or like what's going on? No, they mention him in season seven. Yeah, they mention him, but it still feels like he's not there. Yeah. Or he's maybe just, he just doesn't hmm. show up because he's sad about Kira. <laughs> Why talk to the the first minister when you can talk to the religious leader? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been great if they'd done like the sitcom thing where she shows up and they're like, where have you been? <laughs> to sign a treaty with the Federation. Yeah, send your Pope. That makes sense. Um, <laughs> this, is a re- this is a political Pope now? <laughs> Yeah, it does feel weird. It feels like, uh, I, I mean, my I had Ken and he's like, did she just like off Shakar and she's just like behind a video screen mimicking his voice every time that people talk to him? Oh my god. She off Shakar and just no one really cares. <laughs> or everyone was just like, oh, Shakar. Yeah, he turned out to be really boring. <laughs> As is the rule with every one of Major Kira's love interests. Except Odo. Oh my god. Except yeah. Odo. Not to spin off too much into Major Kira's love interests. But <laughs> it's so easy to do, though. Rewatching her scenes with Burrell. Burrell, yeah. Using them? Oof. Oh my god. No offense to that actor, but for some reason, like, I don't oh. know if he was directed to play him that way, but he's just so dry. I think he was supposed to be, like, serene. 
Yeah. yeah. It just feels creepy and boring by the same time. It, yeah, it feels weird. It's like, is this guy like seeing me? And he, like, if I met someone like that and they were trying to maybe like flirt with, I'm like, are you flirting or are you like, what's going on? What is, I don't know what you feel towards. Are me. you having a moment? Are you a serial killer? <laughs> I, I watched all 14 of Kaiwin's episodes in the last four days. Nice. It was a lot. We'll call it the Kaiwin <laughs> challenge. Oh, God. <laughs> or, or we could call it hashtag winning. <laughs> as i'm I'm rewatching these because Brile shows up often when win shows up i i just kept mm-hmm. sitting there thinking like how does someone as like dynamic and kick-ass as kira fall Ooh. for this like boring milk toast <laughs> guy <laughs> it makes you wonder if it isn't that phenomena of the badass lady character being written and then the guy writer who's really boring and nebbish writing in mm. a boring nebbish character for her to fall <laughs> head over heels with which she just needs to be like domesticated yes the other thing i i picked up on in this winning marathon was <laughs> that after the first episode that she's in, Wynn really can't just show up. She's always announced <laughs> to yes. someone. She's like announced oh, yeah. to Cisco. Like, Kai Wynn's coming to the station. She'll be here in an hour. And every single yeah. time he ha- lets out a deep sigh and like mm-hmm. puts his face in his hands. It's like the equivalent of the Marge Simpson groan, but it's like yes. Cisco's, Cisco's mm-hmm. version of that. Marge Cisco. Mm-hmm. I'd never noticed the pattern before. And then I saw it like 12 times in a row. <laughs> Yeah. And it's such a great contrast to like one of the times when we see them being like, the Kai is coming and he's like, oh, Paka, he's stoked that she's coming. <laughs> I mean, you know, if like the Pope goes somewhere today, <laughs> he's not just like announced. He has like an advance team and a security team and right. like all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm not surprised. You know, Wynn would have a Pope mobile if she would like a Pope shuttle. Totally. Oh, did y'all see the, there's a, one of the interviews she did. She says, I suggested to the writers yeah. that she be like, you heard, yeah, I know Sue, you saw this, that like children throw rose petals yes. when she yeah. enters the room. <laughs> Amazing. And, and then she's like, yeah, but the, the writers didn't go for that. I don't they know why. Like <laughs> Budget. A little on the nose. I think she was on point though. That would have been very funny. <laughs> it would have been very in character also. Yes. In the, this is about validating meanness of her personality. Exactly. They kind of set that up as well by showing how the people don't like her as much as Cisco. So the people come out mm-hmm. when Cisco <laughs> comes out to do things that are anywhere remotely ceremonial. But when Wynn comes out, they're like, oh, I guess you're okay. <laughs> Do you think that's what it's like for the Pope when he's visiting a city where the bishop is really popular and everybody is like hog wild for that bishop? And he's like, oh, this is your crowd. Okay. Okay. I just, I just, I'm just here in my giant hat. I just, I just came in my Pope mobile. (laughs) I made an effort. I can especially see that for like, because you know how they pick from several archbishops or whatever? Yep. Yeah. Like who the Pope is? Yeah. If the Pope visits one of those archbishops' hometowns, yeah, I'm sure they would be like, oh, that Pope. <laughs> yeah, ours would have been better, but whatever. <laughs> yes. We just came to see the bishop. Yeah, you know. We like the bishop. Our Pope would have been better in those robes and hat, but it's fine. It's fine. Oh, that's how you're going to wear it. Oh, okay. That's a choice. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, fun. I love how you can just wear any robe. Our cardinal would have been better, uh, except they replaced his brain with a machine until he was <laughs> basically dead, um, but only so he could finish these negotiations. Can't you just replace the other half of his brain? <laughs> oh, man. Then it would be Cardinal Robocop. Oh, my God. Yes. That would be awesome. Dead or alive, your soul's coming with me. That should have been the Mirror Universe episode where Burrell comes back, but he's just a cyborg. That would have been so much better. I would have kicked ass. Oh my god. I love that. <laughs> There's uh, one more thing sort of about Wynn's countenance that I wanted mm. to mention, and I actually can't take credit for it. It's in, uh, I saw it in Steve Shive's video that was like his Louise Fletcher memorial video, mm-hmm. and he describes... Kai Wynn as 
superficially polite but unmistakably condescending. Mm. Ooh, yeah. And it's just that's just a perfect phrase. It is, yeah. Like those old ladies who say, mm, "Bless your heart." Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. There's a moment she has a "bless your heart" moment, like <laughs> to me that stands out, which is when Kira. Yeah, it's the, that end of season one, uh, season two arc where Kira gets ousted from her position on the station and she's back on Bajor mm-hmm. in the garden with boring Asperile. And Kai, or not Kai, at that point, Vedic Adami comes and she's like, oh, Barile, I didn't know you were going to bring Kira to the orbs and to the temple. You know, you could have like, uh, if you had asked us uh, for our approval, we would have given it. And Barile is like, oh, we don't do that anymore. Fuck you. And she's like, well, okay then. And the, just like whatever that last line she says in that in that scene, it it exactly like bless your heart. It's like the way it's worded, the way she delivers it is just like pitch perfect for like, well, f- you too. Okay. <laughs> she also refers to Kira as Barile's recreation. Oh my yeah. god, yes, so <laughs> nasty, so rude and so nasty. Like yes, when oh I find her. I love her relationship with Kira and like the conflict that they have. Because Kira respects her at the beginning of yeah. kind of their relationship also. And then has to be like, oh, you're a massive mm-hmm. bitch. Yeah, like yeah. she doesn't like her politics, but she's like the prophets chose her. So mm-hmm. we're going to go with it. Like I'm I'm not super happy with it, but like, and I, yeah. And she doesn't like what happened with Barile, obviously, and and mm-hmm. Wynn's hand in that. But she still figures that like there must be some kind of fate that ordained this situation, right? Yeah, it's funny too to see how vastly different. I guess all three Vedics that we see Kira interact with these three, mm-hmm. but especially the first two, right? Like yeah. Opaka and and Adami, like comparing how she how she reacts to both of them she adores opaka mm-hmm. she just like loves yeah. her she's like motherly figure to her and there's literally a scene where like opaka just like puts her face to her breast yeah she like pulls her face to her breast and hugs her not sexually sorry i said that oh weird, my god but, she like, even <laughs> does go off to to care for the dying on that planet yeah mm-hmm. she stays there to care for people who are in conflict like she is yeah. She is this warm, motherly, sweet presence. And then win. <laughs> and then, so it's nice that they set it up for us to see how Kira reacts to this religious figure who is like kind and everything she said she is. And then this one that she very early on sees is evil underneath. It's like doing bad, bad things. Evil, 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 evil. <laughs> Mustache twirly, as we said before. <laughs> So yeah, why don't we run through her her stories a little bit? Sure. I mean, we've talked about some of them already, but we've got her first appearance in the Hand of the Prophets is the school episode Mm -hmm. where she tries to have Beryl assassinated. And there's a very clear metaphor for, like, teaching evolution in schools. Mm -hmm. And is not dated today. No. (laughs) Not even a little. (laughs) Not familiar at all. Her next two episodes, The Circle and The Siege, sort of go together. That's when she teams up with Jaro to try to overthrow the provisional government and have the two of them take power. You know, like you do. Mm -hmm. Like you do. When you believe in the prophets, that's what you do, right? Yeah. Seize political power. The prophets didn't give me the political power, but I feel like they would want me to have it. So then we get to uh, at the end of season two. It's been like over a year since Opaka died or left, whichever verb you want to use. And this is the collaborator is when she, I guess, frames. I'm not even sure if she if Kai if Wynn knows the truth. I don't think she does, but she... But she accuses Beryl mm-hmm. of being a Cardassian collaborator mm-hmm. when it turns out it was really Opaka herself. And he's he steps out of the race, I guess, for <laughs> since it's a vote for Kai. The space race, yeah. In order mm-hmm. to protect, like, the memory of Opaka. You win some, you lose some. Yeah. Whether or not she knew, she didn't care because all she yeah. wanted was to win. Mm-hmm. So once he steps down, she's like, okay, that's all I needed. I don't care about who, who actually did the thing I'm accusing you of. She probably also would have liked, even if it, it had come out that it was Opaka, even yeah. if she, like, I don't oh, know if yeah. she knew or not, but if she did know, like, she probably felt it was a win-win. Because uh, if it would make her more popular than like her much beloved predecessor. Yeah, she'd be into that. 
Yeah, it is true, though, that as soon as Brile steps down or withdraws, she doesn't care about the results of Kira's investigation exactly. whatsoever. Yeah. yeah, not her problem anymore. Yeah, she's very goal focused. Like I said, a boss bitch. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> for good or for ill. Look, boss bitch is a, a neutral term. Okay, <laughs> we know it is now. neither positive nor negative. Exactly, it's about the person and what they're doing with it. It's about the person and their level of bossery. So the next time we see her is in halfway through season three in an episode called Life Support. And mm. we learn that Beryl has become one of her closest aides and has been negotiating a peace treaty with Cardassia. Yeah. He is mortally wounded. This is when he becomes a cyborg in order to continue to help her with the negotiations that she recognizes she can't do alone. Right. And But then he ends up becoming, like, a literal tool to her. Yes. Yeah. And she does not at all care about his well-being as long as she can complete these negotiations and take the credit for them. Yeah. yeah. And then she does take the credit once he is out of the picture. And she's like, well, yeah. he would have wanted me to take the credit. He, didn't, he was humble. He didn't care. It's so interesting. In one scene, she says, I won't let people forget his name. And then the next time we <laughs> see her. It's like, Beryl who? She's like, he he wouldn't care. He didn't care about praise. Right, mm -hmm. right. God, mm. ugh. Space Karen. I think this is really like a defining episode for her character. Yeah. Yeah. When we see the lengths that she'll go to. Because she's, she's already Kai at this point. Like, what yeah. else? She just wants love and adoration. It's never enough. She wants to stay Kai, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's running for re-election. Maybe that is part of that imposter syndrome. You know, like she's she's there and she's like, I still have to scratch tooth and nail to stay here because I might lose it because mm -hmm. people might find out the prophets don't like me. <laughs> and then in Shakar, at the end of season three is when she's appointed head of the provisional government after the first minister dies in his sleep. Oof. Dies in his sleep. Wait a minute. Wait, I forgot yeah, about this. Dies That's in his sleep. Pretty shady. What? She had him killed. She totally had him killed, right? My God, yes, she did. Jared, I know you've written about this episode. I think it's kind of implied, um, although I don't know if it's like, I don't think it's ever clarified. But I do think this is a great, great episode, even though I'm not the biggest fan of Shakar. It's such good political writing. Shakar, you sure? <laughs> yeah, there's um there's a scene like where Kira and Odo talk about like what the politics that's happening on on Bajor and this idea like well the crappy thing about democracy, I'm not saying the exact quote, is that like sometimes you don't like the outcome and like you have to if you trust people to make decisions, sometimes they make bad decisions and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel this so hard. <laughs> it really is a Star mm. Trek West Wing episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, you do see her kind of, like, scheming a bit with her aides and stuff, um, and they're, you know, basically denying these machines to Shakar's province, and Kira is supposed to go down and, like, try to talk him out of fighting the Kai, but then her, him and her old resistance friends are like, here's what's actually happening, like, this is gonna stop us from feeding our people, and then Kira basically kind of, she pulls a wharf, and she, like, briefly quits her job and joins a resistant, an armed resistance. Pulls a wharf. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't see Wynne after this for a whole season. She's not wow. in season four at all. She was on vacation that year. She's back in the 10th episode of season five for rapture uh this is the one where the federation has accepted bajor and she's coming to the station to like accept the acceptance it's weird and cisco starts having visions about how if bajor joins the federation they'll be destroyed he's kai at this point right mm -hmm. oh boy this is the episode where she has this conference i guess it's a confrontation with kira and we learn that she was imprisoned during the occupation and beaten mm. for teaching the word of the prophets. Right. I think it's important background for her because, like we said, absolutely, you know, she turns from kind of being a little bit more mustache twirly evil pope uh, in space to being someone that you can understand where she's coming from, even if you don't agree with what she's doing. It's an interesting reason she claims, though, for for bringing it up. She says, like, I'm sick of you resistance fighters thinking that you won this fight against the Cardassians by yourselves. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, yeah, like one of the few times when I'm like, you know what? She has a point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you hate to admit it, but she does. This is also if you pay attention to this like redemption arc thing that we mentioned before. It could have been. Yeah. This is where because Cisco has discovered this lost religious city, Bahala, Mm-hmm. that's when she starts saying only the emissary could have done this. I don't mm-hmm. know what to think anymore. I think one of her lines is even like before I knew who my enemies were. Mm-hmm. So now she's sort of like lost and doesn't know what to think about who anymore. Did we already skip the episode with the fake emissary? Did we pass that one already? Is she not in that? The one where you have the guy who's faking being the emissary and he makes everyone go back to their caste systems and she's like, she Yay, is not I don't in know. that. Oh, okay. I In my brain, I just filled her in. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's a weird, weird choice of an episode to not have her in that yeah. I really do wondering if it was an availability issue. Mm. Yeah, probably. That was probably one of the ones that she was well, available for. you can bet she was happy about it. Anyway. <laughs> about the fake emissary oh yeah. yeah she yeah she probably totally would have been on his side like oh it's actually a bajoran oh thank god cisco's been ousted you know oh my god it i love this imagining like what she would have di- done in that episode because it actually now brings me to like serena joy vibes oh, like, yeah. yeah, she would have been like yep you know what the emissary says we have to go back to Cass, and they're right i you know we should do like it feels very serena joy energy mm-hmm. but of course that's just that's just our conjecture of what she would have would have said in that episode so at the end of season five we have in the cards this is the negotiations with Wayun episode. I love it so much. About a potential non-aggression pact with the Dominion. Okay, so you know how we talk about shady Vulcans? She has like such a great, I mean, she has a lot of shade in general, but there's a moment of shade that she has to Wayun where she tries to like test his pock by grabbing his ear. And she's just like, no. Yeah, like he says, basically, (laughs) we have a lot in common or something. And she, she grabs his ear and she just like makes this face. Like, no, I like she smiles like her kind of fake smile is like, no, I don't. A definite bless your heart moment. Exactly. That scene between the two of them, they had to rebuild that set because so much scenery was chewed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's it's incredible. Delicious, delicious scenery. Two of the greatest Star Trek guest stars in that one scene. Yeah. 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 That's one of my like favorite underappreciated episodes. Yeah. It's terrific. Well, her one and only appearance in season six is an episode called The Reckoning. I love this one. This is Cisco shatters a tablet that he brought back from Bahala, Mm -hmm. and it releases the paw wraiths. And one of them takes over Jake and the prophets are like possessing Kira. And there's going to be basically like Armageddon, right, is happening on Deep Space Nine. And they have a wizard battle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Powerade origin episode. Wynne stops it. She stops it with, like, by flooding the station with chronotons, presumably because she's jealous that the prophets didn't pick her. They picked Kira. She's like, I wanted to be the avatar, damn it. (laughs) This episode, I will say, is cheesy. And I also think it has, like, Saturday morning cartoon vibes with the way that they have, like, the red thing coming up from Jake and, like, the blue thing coming up from Kira and, like, fighting each other and seeing who it gets closer to first. And, like, they're getting nosebleeds and their eyes are glowing. But, like, I think that that decision that win makes is really really important for her as a character it's another important moment that basically cisco's faith was stronger than hers like he was willing to sacrifice mm -hmm. his son and she just couldn't it's like she was jealous that kira had it but she was also jealous of cisco's faith that he could have potentially like let this battle claim the life of his son and she couldn't like let that happen, which would have would have like mm-hmm. boosted Cisco even more in like the people's opinion, probably. It's one of those episodes that would have been really interesting to tie into that redemption arc if they'd had it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't that Abraham and Isaac the whole go sacrifice your son? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I thought I was like they had a wizard battle. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> God said to Abraham, "Go up on the mountain and have a wizard battle." <laughs> we have different translations of the book of genesis over here (laughs) (laughs) i was in a very left-wing church (laughs) 
the difference between the Old and New Testament interpretations. I just want to note on this episode, it was originally going to be Wynne who was possessed by the Pawraiths in this episode. Ah. Until the writers realized they could use this to like return her back to her more evil conniving ways after mm-hmm. the kind of, I guess, failed or mm-hmm. maybe unresolved redemption arc of season five. Yeah. Interesting. That's that makes me kind of sad now, knowing that like they thought about making her possessed by a parade, and then like later they have the parade manipulate her, but she never even gets to get possessed by anyone. It's true. <laughs> it really does just suck to be win, except yeah. her own ambition. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, that takes us to to her final arc. I I don't think it's worth splitting these episodes up no. because yeah. it's all one story. It's all moments most of us don't want to remember. <laughs> It's all a lot of, ah, uh, no. <laughs> I'm going to just rattle off the episode names. It's Till Death Do Us Part, Strange Bedfellows, The Changing Face of Evil, When It Rains, and of course, What You Leave Behind. What You Leave Behind is the image of the two bad guys of the show in bed together and a mental image you just can't shake. <laughs> I will say, just in the ongoing, like, you know, pointing out unpopular opinions that it's nice to have an older woman with a sexuality, and that is the only good yes. thing I can say about Such this Such as it is. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. She doesn't have great taste. She is won over very easily also. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But she um, also holds her own in that relationship. Like, I feel like she kind of slaps him around a little bit. <laughs> you think so? Not ver- not physically. Like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what they're into. But no, yeah, like she does. She's like, you go out and beg. You know what I Like that whole thing. Yeah. I forget the like context of it. But yeah, she kind of is like, I don't think she's just willingly like falling for this dude because he's paying attention to her. You know what I'm saying? No, like, I agree. There, there's something there. Also, I see this as her like Sith turn. Mm. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. She really is seduced by the dark side. She really literally is seduced by the dark side. She sees the power wraiths, as we said in that season six episode. She sees that there's something else out there that has power that maybe that'll pay attention to me. And it's mm-hmm. just like setting her up for this beautiful turn yeah. towards the dark side. Yeah, she fa- is finally getting the attention, thinks she's getting the attention she's always wanted from the prophets. What I wouldn't give to hear Louise Fletcher say, notice me, senpai. <laughs> But what I think is the really the most interesting character aspect of this story for Wynne comes when she first learns that these aren't the prophets, these are the parates. Yeah. And yeah. we see her like really breaking down and really mm-hmm. trying to like struggling with mm-hmm. what to do to the point of calling for Kira to confide in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she basically admits everything she's done. The The line of dialogue she says, is, I have often sensed that you don't approve of how I conducted myself as Kai, that you believe I put my own political interests ahead of the spiritual well-being of our people. I wish I could disagree with that assessment. I have strayed from the path the prophets laid down for me. And she is, in this scene, she is, at least at the beginning, open and honest and, like, reflective mm-hmm. until... And, and she's like, I'll do anything to repent. I'm ready to do this until Kira says step suggests down she should step down as Kai. Yeah. And then it's over. You overplayed your hand. Why should I have to give up everything I've worked for in order to, to please gods who don't care about me? But I won't do that. Ugh. <laughs> 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 oh. Like, this may be a rough storyline, but she acts it incredibly. Oh, she does. I think, though, <laughs> that another piece that we have to mention of this, like, what she's thinking about and experiencing, though, is the fear that she'll get found out for having mm. slept with not just someone who's an emissary of the Pawraiths, but Gul Dukat. Gul Dukat. The most Cardassian of Cardassians. Okay, but when Solbor says, can't you see it in his face, that's just hilarious to me. Yeah. don't you recognize him it's the same guy (laughs) you've met him like a couple times now it's just very funny to me for some reason anyway he has the exact same voice uh it's very (laughs) very uh, distinct but i think that that for me does make me question how much choice free choice she has like it's it's true that she does like basically like you're gonna be a beggar now 
And she probably on some level thinks like if he told that like maybe no one would believe him. But I think she also on some level is like deeply afraid that if someone finds out that this will be the end of her political career and her like leadership career on Bajor. Well, yeah. And it, it yeah. all comes back to putting herself first, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not like, oh my God, I've lost my path. I was swayed by Gal Dukat of all people. It's what if someone finds out that exactly. I've lost my path and I was swayed by Gal yeah. Dukat. <laughs> she's disgusted by it. She's disgusted with herself. Mm-hmm. But she keeps him around because she needs him to get yeah. power. Yep. Yes. There it is. Ugh. And also I think she's doing a little bit of a like, keep your friends close and your enemies closer at first. Like, I think on some level, she also likes to be desired and to be like, she feels like he sees something in her that like no one else has seen. Yeah, Patsy. Everyone has like seen her as like, yeah, totally. But like everyone has been treating her as like, you know, a figurehead or this boss bitch or whatever. And she feels like he sees her. But then I think she also is like, you know, I don't, if I let this guy get too far away, like who knows what he's going to do. Mm. It's she's so you said it. She she turns on a dime. Mm-hmm. Right. When the prophets don't give her what she wants, she goes to the paw rates. And then when the paw <laughs> rates choose Ducat as their emissary, immediately she turns on them, too. Well, right? I mean, she did she know that, like, she knew that he was somewhat chosen by the paw rates before before she, like, flips in the very in the finale. Right. But they don't, like, possess him and give him powers as emissary until yeah. they're in the fire caves. And that's when she's like, no, I, that was supposed to be me. It wasn't about me even this time. God damn. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, prophets, damn. And then it's, it's she like then tries to stop him, right? She's trying to destroy the, the Coast Emojin, the, the book yeah. of the evil or whatever, the Necronomicon. The <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Bajornomicon, yeah. And, and he sets her on fire, right? And she dies in flames. Yeah, I, I said that so casually. <laughs> I didn't mean that to be casual. But she does create a moment that saved, that like lets Cisco win, basically. Yes, she does. But my my real question from like really like watching this with an eye on her character so closely is is she actually repentant, or is she just still jealous and resentful? Does she want to kill Ducat and end this because she realizes? the error of her ways? Or is it because he's the emissary of the Parates? That's a great question. Because I like always read it that she had a moment of regret, like when she was actually faced with like the fire caves. And him like, lighting into flame and then realizing that like, I mean, maybe it's also about it's not her and she wanted it to be her. But I think it's also that she knows that this guy isn't fully good, right? And that she can't necessarily trust him to do what's right for Bajor. Or, and and not only can she not trust him to do what's right, but she is not in control here. Yes. Realizes, mm. yeah, she's like, oh, crap. And I, you know, I think that's a synthesis of, of both points and all the points here of whether it's like she, is it regret of what's going to happen and the evil or is it just, I wish it was me? I think it's both. And through the funnel of if she can't be in control of the evil spirits, then she wants she wants it not to happen. She's going to shut it down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously she hasn't been thinking clearly throughout this whole arc, right? As soon as she thinks the prophets are speaking to her, that's all. Anything they say. It's like, yeah, it's the thing that she's wanted most her whole life. Definite confirmation bias, yeah. Yeah, right. when it turns out mm-hmm. to not be the prophets, but to be the parates, she has this this crisis for a minute, but once she decides that, like, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm I'm going to the people who care for me or, or are speaking to me or who favor me, any bad deeds no longer register as problematic to her. Mm-hmm. Like, Sleeping with a literal genocidal oppressor, killing her aide, right? Overthrowing her government. None of it is like, oh, wait, maybe this is evil. Maybe they're not the true gods of Bajor. It just. Hang on, maybe I've made some poor choices here. Right. The, that, the, that rationality leaves her. True Sith turn, <laughs> I would say. I'm just imagining her with a lightsaber now. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, that, that is the, the 
story of Kai Wynn that we see throughout, or Win Adami, I should say, as we see throughout Deep Space Nine. Now, this is something I've been wondering this whole time, and I gotta ask. A, how well do we think televangelism would go over on Bajor? Because mm. <laughs> I could see her doing it. B, how easily would she fit in with the Righteous Gemstones? Because <laughs> also super easy to do for her. I'm not sure that she has the charisma for, <laughs> at, to be a televangelist. <laughs> she would certainly try, though. She would try. She'd be one of those <laughs> those cable access yeah. televangelists. Oh, she'd, she'd definitely try. She'd be bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> I, agree. I agree with that assessment. Beryl would also be bad at it, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it would be, oh my god, Beryl, please. She's, she's relying on the fact that the entire population of her planet believes her religion like that's yeah. what makes her like an old-timey pope there's no alternative yeah like it, or no no dominant no like meaningful competitive alternative <laughs> it's like the state religion and you know like we see you know like majorans who aren't Bajoran religious are far, few and far between. Yeah. If if she had had to like deal in a in a competitive like a diverse religious environment, uh she would have be much more challenged. She's the only shop in town and that's the only reason she's succeeding. Yeah. Yeah, we're told that she is leading a conservative orthodox order and it is small. So the implication there is that to to make an illusion that most Bajorans are like reform or (laughs) you know or liberal or Mm -hmm. or however you want to name it but we never really see them I mean even in her first episode Kira says that she supports Wynn to be the next Kai so I mean we're basically told that Kira is conservative when it comes to her faith Mm -hmm. and even has discussions with Beryl about how they don't necessarily agree on interpretations of the prophets or Mm -hmm. the prophecies or yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Kira like somewhat backs Kai in the discussion with Keiko too. Like she or the Kai win or sorry, Vedic win. She uh, she somewhat like oh, is yeah. like, yeah, yeah, you like I'm sketched out about these teachings. It's mm-hmm. not respectful. She doesn't think you should blow up the school, but you know. <laughs> I mean, Kira is a terrorist, so a lot of her problems have been solved through blowing <laughs> things up in the past. But yeah. That's a bridge too far. <laughs> I wonder if we're supposed to think that when she becomes Kai, more of the Vedics under her take a more conservative stance on things. I would imagine. We never really see, like, internal religious turmoil, although I'm not sure how good of a Star Trek show that would make. But, like, also, (laughs) I mean, we have, yeah, we have, like, a couple episodes of of internal kind of political stuff, but, you know, think about the Catholic Church today and, like, what I think people would largely agree, although it's still highly problematic, the somewhat more liberal turn under the current Pope. And it's not like we read in the daily news about, like, the internal disagreements between the archbishops and the cardinals that right. don't, like, yeah. were not on his t- his team to begin with, or the ones that voted for him and didn't think he would go this far. I'm just imagining a gossip girl about the papacy. Mm-hmm. Papal gossip girl. I mean, possibly if you are big into the church, you're like up on that stuff. But I uh, <laughs> like the average person is not. Yeah. See, I am used to knowing all the gossip. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's how I grew up. <laughs> if you I feel like the closest thing to that is that Dan Brown novel and oh my God. movie Angels and Demons. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you want the hot goss on papacy and how the Pope is <laughs> chosen, watch that movie or read that book because it gives it to you. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Amazing. Some hot Pope goss. Hot Pope goss. Yes. 14 episodes, so many highlights. my final thought is is the sydney opera house hat actually a bajoran nose ridge hat think about it it. you just blew everybody's mind wow i am literally going to dream about that tonight (laughs) (laughs) all right then well alisa where can people find you on the internet to debate bajoran nose hats (laughs) 
You can find me at Elisa Pearl on Instagram. I'm still on Twitter, but no promises as to how long I will be there. And you can also find me at Elisa Pearl on a lot of other things like Hive and TikTok and uh, wherever people are these days. Sounds good. I think we're going to hear a lot of similar responses. Grace, where can people find you on the internet? Similarly, I'm keeping an eye on things on Twitter, but I'm not committed to it right now but you can find me on mastodon tumblr and pillow fort and instagram at bonecrusher jank or bonecrusher j and jara yeah i'm still on the bad website kind of occasionally checking in at jara penguin that's j-a-r-r-a-h penguin which is also my instagram handle and you can also find me at trekkiefeminist.com and i'm sue uh, my twitter is parked over at speltor s-p-a-l-t-o-r who knows how active that's going to be. Your guess is as good as mine. And on Instagram, if you want to follow my cats, they are at Noodle Bean Potato. And to learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com. Email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or I guess Twitter at Women at Warp. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening and walk with the prophets, my child. <laughs> I'll walk with who I want. Ha, 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 ha.